uh, it's just a great opportunity to um, connect with you, maybe in a way that I would not have had a chance to. Uh, he invited me, and um, I'm so grateful, Terry. Thank you so much. Uh, he mentioned the book. I am not going to say too much about the book. I'll reference it, but I'm not going to sound like an infomercial because uh, it's not really um, why I'm not here to sell the book, but it is, it is partly why I'm here. It is because of the book, because uh, that is how I met Terry. He has already mentioned that I'll be at ABC tomorrow, and I'd be so happy if you could join me between uh, 2 and 5. I hope to see all of you, and in case you can't, it's also on Amazon. I have some bookmarks that I'll hand out to you uh, at the end of the program. The book really is about my journey, uh, specifically. But universally, it's about all of our journeys as women, as mothers, and as human beings. In my case, I can say that my journey, it has not been a crystal staircase, neither going up or down. It has been very challenging in many ways. But ultimately, I have a lot to be thankful for. And I continue to believe deeply in the guiding hands of an eternal God and in his purpose for my life. And a part of that purpose is just being here this evening. Uh, there are no coincidences, you know. There's a reason why I'm here. So I'm so delighted to be sharing with you some of my experiences as a parent to two wonderful daughters. These two people are two of the nicest people I know. I, I don't know how I got so lucky. I hope I'll one day have the opportunity to ask God, why did you choose me as a vessel to bring these two uh, young women into the world? Uh, of course, I'm also a daughter of two beloved parents. Uh, my dad passed last September, and my mom has been struggling. Two great people, uh, a very intelligent, a genius of a father, and a mother who has more, has better instincts of anyone I know. And I feel so much that in some ways I'm blessed to have the finest of both of my parents. That said, it hasn't been a perfect life. <laughs> my journey as a mother has not been perfect at all, not as a human being. It has been rich, though. It has been challenging. It has been flawed and imperfect in so many ways. But through it all, I have learned to be bigger and better. Amen. I've learned to be stronger. I've learned to be kinder. I've learned to be more thoughtful and to be more compassionate. I've learned to be more hopeful. I have learned that somewhere out there, there's someone who is bigger than I am. There's someone who holds the keys to our existence on earth and someone whose wisdom and greatness is worthy of praise and worship. Someone in the presence of whose greatness I am entirely humbled. And, and so conscious of how small and unworthy I am, but for his grace. I can tell you that the most humbling experiences of my life came fairly recently. I was actually on my way um, to Jamaica on September 8th, 
And I was in transit in the airport in Miami when I heard that my father had passed. I was on my way to see him. He was in the University Hospital of West Indies. And I had, booked, I had booked a room in the lodge nearby so I could have spent the weekend with him. The idea that he was going to die then and there um, wasn't a part of my plans. And for a moment, I was caught between coming back to Washington and preparing to go back to Jamaica for a funeral or continuing on my journey to Jamaica. In the end, I decided to go. And I went that day, instead of going to see my father, I was just so looking forward to walking around that hospital bed and to see him look up and to realize that I was inside the room. And instead, I had to go to the morgue to see him in the refrigerator. And I stood there looking down. And I just became so conscious that no matter what I did, no matter how I screamed, no matter how I kicked, no matter how I cursed, he was gone. And there was nothing on earth that I can do. And it was one of the most uh, humbling experiences of my life. But I can say, you know, as imperfect as my life has been, I really speak from the richness and completeness of all my experiences. And, and so I'd like to share with you a few of my, the lessons that I've learned. One of the things I find interesting is, is how tempting and how easy it is for us to be caught up with our differences. Differences in cultures, races, ethnicities, nationalities, and of course, religion. And this it struck me very forcefully because I'm not an American. I came here about 16 years ago. And so when I came for the first time, I didn't realize how segregated America was. And when I say that, people say, what do you mean? And I said, of course it is very segregated. There are black schools and white schools and black churches and white churches and uh, black neighborhood and white neighborhood. There's Howard University, and we say that um, is the Harvard of black America or something like that. And, and so that all that we're doing is punctuating our differences. And the differences are framed in such a way that makes us seem so far apart. And so that my next question is, you know, how are we all um, going to heaven? We all think we're going to heaven. Uh, we're taking different routes. And it would really be an interesting time when we all get there, you know, considering that some of us really didn't like each other um, on that human journey. But I have found really that once we get to know each other, when we try to break down those barriers, we are so much more alike than we're different. The differences that we make so much of, they're, they're really very superficial. And as human beings, as women, as mothers, we share very common concerns and common joys, especially when it comes to raising our children. In chapter 27 of a book, it's called These Are My Neighbors. And I wrote that chapter because in 2004, I bought a house in a little community between uh, University Boulevard and Arcola Avenue. And my only concern when I was buying that house was that it's the only thing I could afford. A little broken down house, I could afford it, and it would allow my children to stay in their school district. I didn't know that it was a Jewish community. I found that out later. 
And then people started asking me, why did you go buy a house among the Jews? You know, why did you choose to go live among the Jews? I, I didn't know, and I didn't know that it should have mattered. And so one day, this little girl, Rebecca, came selling old books on, on Judaism. And my daughter, instead of taking the book from her, she gave her a quarter. And Rebecca turned around and looked at her and said, why do you like Jews so much? And for a split second, my daughter had a look of annoyance on her face. And then she said, Rebecca, I like people. And I thought it was just such a profound expression of how we're supposed to see each other. And I began to look more deeply in the Jewish community, what it means to be Jewish, and why is it that these people are considered to be set apart. And you can't look at the Jewish community without looking at um, their arch rivals or arch enemies, the Palestinian community. And I started thinking, what's the value of the life of a little Jewish girl, and what's the value of the life of a little Palestinian girl? And so it's an exploration of differences, an exploration of how and what happens when we start breaking down barriers and seeing people as people rather than as some labels that we have placed on them. And so shortly after the book came out, I hosted an interfaith workshop. Uh, it was a workshop with mothers, a very interesting cross-section from the Washington, D.C. area population. Among the panelists were Denise, she's an African-American minister of religion. There was Sarah, she's a Muslim mother of four children. Wanjiru, an African grandmother. And of course myself there, representing kind of a Caribbean community. And what that discussion did again was to reinforce how much across cultures and races, religion, social classes, our struggles and triumphs are similar if we only stop to think about it a little bit. I made a video out of that conference, and I used the opening slide, and the slide is of an African mother. And if you look at it, she's barefooted. She's herding a cow with one hand, she's carrying a pail of water in the other hand, and she's carrying her baby on her back. And I was very deliberate in choosing that image because to me, it's an iconic photo of what mother would mean for millions of women all over the world. If you watch television, you get a totally different impression. You think it's about Angelina Jolie and Jessica Simpson and what's her name again, Beyonce, and you know, all of these um, pop culture images that somehow our experiences or the experiences of the everyday heroine, your mother and my mother, become lost in what the media uh, creates as images that we're supposed to look up to in some way. But this mother had the baby on her back. And for me, that it's literal and it's metaphorical. Her other hands are, are, are occupied. Typical mother, she's the ultimate multitasker. The cow is symbolic of the economic needs and the pail of water that is providing for her own basic needs and that of her children. In very many cases, mother is a lonely figure, even though it takes two to make a baby. That certainly has been a part of my journey, 
It's a profound sense of responsibility no matter what, influenced by the knowledge that I have just one chance to do right by my children, and of course, influenced by that love that knows no bound. So in chapter 5, it's called Holy Mother, and it explores the responsibility of motherhood. It came out of an incident where an incident where my daughter almost drowned. She was just she was about six years old, and I was there. I was sitting at the edge of a pool. I thought I was watching her. She was playing um, with a rubber alligator, and I was busy talking Jamaican politics and Jamaican current events with my friends and cousins who were sitting by the pool. And I was so involved in the conversation. I didn't realize that my daughter had gotten stuck under the life-size rubber alligator and that she was trying to get out from under it, and she couldn't. Um, Fortunately, my cousin saw her and was able to get in and pull her out. And it just took me a long while to get over the fact that she almost drowned right before my eyes. And a part of the hardest thing was just forgiving myself for not looking for thinking that I was doing what I was supposed to do, when in fact I was not. And so the lesson out of that for me was that because you're physically present as a mother or as a caregiver, it really doesn't mean that you're really there or that uh, you're really available. Ultimately, though, the certain part of my journey has been a profound sense of responsibility that no matter what, the love of mother, motherhood, is truly the greatest and purest love of all. And it is this acknowledgement that we're stewards of our children's lives until they're able to take care of themselves, and then we must let them go. And this is why the introduction ends with the beautiful words of a Lebanese poet, Khalil Gibran. Your children are not your children, he says. They're the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tires with yesterday. This is unconditional love. As mothers, we're raising our children to the best that we can be. Only so that we can let them go to be the best that they can be. That is a part of my struggles now as my children grow into adulthood. On Thursday morning, the story of an Indiana mom was again on TV. Her name is Stephanie Decker, and she was a victim of a recent spring tornadoes in Indiana. I copied a short paragraph from a website that carried the initial story about her accident, and this is what it says. As the sky glowered black, and Stephanie Decker felt the monster tornado begin to suck her house into its vortex. She knew it would not hold, and she had no choice but to shield her two young kids with her own body. She lost her legs in the process. So on Thursday morning, she was on TV because she was being um, fitted with prosthetic, prosthetic legs, 
and she's trying to use them. But I say one thing. I know that all of you here pretty much would have done the same thing. I would have done the same thing. In fact, the first chapter of a book is called Peace Be Still. And it tells a story about me running from my apartment to find my children who got caught in a, in a thunderstorm on the way from school. And as I tried to find them, an image played over and over in my head. It was an image of my mother many years ago making exactly the same run. We were at home in Jamaica when the skies blackened and the clouds took on a menacing darkness. The lightning crisscrossed the skies and the thunder rolled. My brother John was missing. He had gone deep in the woods earlier to tend our small herd of goats. My mother spared only a few minutes to process how eerie and how frightening everything had suddenly become. And then she took off running, not toward the house that would have sheltered her, but toward the woods where my father was. Ten of her 11 children were safe and sound, but that could never, ever be enough. She had to go in search of that one that was missing. And in the unselfishness of her actions, she was completely in tune with the love of Jesus for his people. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave a ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? In Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, we're not merely told the story of the unconditional love of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd for, for his sheep but of our responsibility to those who in some ways are not of the fold. It is about those of us who are religious but lost, convinced that we are better than that other person because they wear jewelry and, they don't, and we don't. They do this, that, and whatnot, and we don't. Unconditional love, the love of a mother for her children, or that of Jesus for us, is not about cherry-picking, or sometimes. It means giving to those who need us more. As part of my journey, I have struggled with my inability to do more, to transform compassion into action, as I believe that I'm called to do. As a mother, a woman, a human being who understands profoundly what suffering is. In chapter two of the book, The End of the Road, it's, it's a story about homelessness. And it was a story that was written out of a question that my daughter asked me. We were crossing the street one day uh, near Georgia Avenue and uh, Randolph Road. We saw a homeless man. She saw a homeless man. I would have walked past him. And I would have walked past him because I'm old. I'm jaded. Huh? I've seen a lot of homeless people in my time. I can't do anything about it, so I would have kept walking. But she began to tug at my arm. And she asked me, what happened? What happened to him, Mommy? How did he end up lonely and poor like that? And so I had to process that question. And one of the things that I thought I should do as a mother was to give my children real answers. Whenever they ask a question, give them real answers. Don't just brush them off. 
And I had to give her a real answer. Of course, I didn't know his story. But I know that at some point, he was a baby, that he had a mother, a father, that he was someone's brother, that at some point he might have been a high school student with great dreams for his life. But what happens? Think about all the things that can go wrong and how easily it is for any of us to end up on the side of a road. It's really not that hard. I remember seeing a woman in Silver Spring, and she was begging. And it caught my attention because um, she was uh, Asiatic, or at least partly so. And I said that in Jamaica, I see homeless people all the time. But, you know, they're black people. It's a predominantly black country. Non-black people in Jamaica tend to be economically better off. And, and so I wasn't used to seeing other people other than black people being homeless until I came here. But I, I crossed the road. You know, I was still very much in my journalistic mode, and I wanted to hear her story. And I crossed her and I, the road, and I asked her what happened. And she told me a story. She had a great job, or at least an average job, like most of us. She was paying the bills. And then, pretty much out of nowhere... She was diagnosed with kidney disease. Soon she was not able to go to work. And she was not able to work, and she lost the health insurance. And then it was downhill after that. There was almost no getting back for her. And then I saw her a few times after that, and I could tell her condition was getting worse. And then I didn't see her anymore. The ultimate lesson is... For so many of us, for many reasons, so many of us may just end up at the end of the road with our lives still unlived, with all the beautiful dreams we had unfulfilled for reasons that we cannot control. Sometimes we can. Sometimes we go off the straight and narrow and get into things that we were not supposed to. And those things always um, have a price. But we always have to remember those people who get there because of nothing that they did wrong. And so, you know, in those moments, I think deeply about my own responsibility to those who need me. Not necessarily family, but a stranger, a mother who is unable to feed her kids. I need to help her in some ways, and I'm really very convinced that I do. And so I find myself all the time, asking God, how do I do it? You know, how do I help? When I go home to Jamaica from America, and my name is Dr. Grace Virtue, and they think I have money, and everybody wants something, but I really do not have it to give. But still, there burns that passion and a sense of responsibility that I do, I need to do more. And I've asked the Lord, what next? You know, is there more to my own life than these struggles and these challenges? And I believe, yes, there is more. I believe completely in a divine plan for all of our lives that, and that that plan is deep and it's rich and it's fulfilling. And I've found myself very many times praying, especially in the last three years of my life, I have just found myself praying and asking God, 
what is this greater purpose that you have? You know, the passion is burning, but I'm uncertain what the purpose is. So, Lord, show me. Show me that purpose for my life, and I will build you a sanctuary. However you conceive that to be. <coughs> I will build your sanctuary because the need is great. And I have moaned, Lord, I want to do your will. You ask me. He said so in the words that we must feed the hungry. He asked me to clothe the naked. And he says that he will judge us accordingly. He will judge us by what we do to the least of his people. And he's asked me to speak liberation to those who are sad and depressed and to those who are without hope. And I continue that quest. How? How can I do more, Lord? In my world, it's easy to understand what suffering is. I come from Jamaica. Every trip back is beautiful. The sunshine, the water, the skyline, the food, the fellowship. I was just there, and I was always so struck by the bounty of the land. And yet, every trip is a heartbreak. There are so many children who are hungry. There are mothers living in the most desperate poverty. There are young people with nothing to do, young men especially. They are standing on the corner, and ultimately, they are going to become predators. And if they are predators, we are praised, and we aren't any of us um, safe. There are dogs on the side of the roads. I mean, this is something that just, it just tears me up inside, because there are so many animals that are on the side of the road, and inevitably, they get run over. And there doesn't seem to be anything you can do. There's a sense of helplessness. There's this disregard for life that goes beyond human life to the lives of animals. And I feel so profoundly, at least dogs especially. Obviously, they're not human beings, but they're beings. And they're not persons, but they do have personalities. And if you have a dog, you understand what I mean. I feel called to do something. And I feel that this is because I so profoundly understand what pain is. I've experienced it. I've worked at Howard University for 10 years. I understand marginalization. I understand brokenness. And I understand how some of us without God are so intent on perpetuating that brokenness on the people around us. I believe that out of our pain, we're called to understand and to serve the needs of those whose pain is far deeper than our own. And this, by the way, was the original idea behind Mother's Day, as envisioned by Julia Ward Ho and and Anna Jarvis, both of whom were instrumental in creating Mother's Day. So now on this journey, I rejoice in the growth of my children and in the resilience from having overcome. And I hear that small voice reminding me that I can speak. And I hear my spirit telling me that a part of that search for purpose is appreciating what one can do and do it well. It is a story of our human journey, how we're all one on that journey and how we have a responsibility to each other along the way. It is a reminder in the words of Stephen Covey that we're not human beings on a spiritual journey. We're spiritual beings on a human journey. 
I wish you a happy Mother's Day tomorrow. And I wish all of you God's abundant blessing every day. Thank you.